Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and today we're talking glass, architectural solar glass, in fact. We'll be speaking with Jeff Horowitz. He's the Director of Business Development and Partnerships for Next Energy Technologies. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. It's great to see you. Great to see you too, Ted. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I'm delighted to have you. Um, tell me, what, what, what are you working on today? Ooh, well, today um, has been a big day. And I'm, you know, I spent the good part of the morning actually looking out my office window and admiring the sun, you know, here in LA. We haven't felt like it's been weeks since uh, we've actually seen the sun with all the crazy weather we've had recently. So first and foremost, enjoying the nice weather we're having here. But uh, today I'm actually developing a press release. Um, we're going to have some other content marketing material for an award um, that we actually received yesterday from the Pacific uh, Coast Business Times. Um, Next Energy won the Corporate Innovation Award in the environmental category. So we were um, getting that award last night at the Bacara up in San, Santa Barbara, um, our team. And so now I'm just kind of working calls, putting together, talking to our marketing team about ways to pitch to local statewide outlets and other other tread, you know, publication. So that's been on the docket for today. Um, and yeah, and then this week, um, just a lot of business development stuff. And I'm sure I'll, you know, talk about what I'm doing at next, but responding to a lot of positive inbound interest from potential commercial and, and industrial partners, um, thanks to some press we got in the Wall Street Journal. So um, a lot of exciting times. Uh, in fact, I think you might have a connection to Snowmass, but the, the town of Snowmass Village just reached out um, and are interested in our uh, transparent windows for the town hall. What, what, what was that award for, the, the current award that you got? So it's just a, it's an innovation, it's a corporate innovation award. We, we just did a uh, installation with, uh, with Patagonia, uh, you know, the large retailer. Um, we installed uh, some of our transparent photovoltaic windows on their headquarters in Ventura. And we announced a partnership with, with, uh, with them. And, uh, you know, I think it caught the eyes of, of the newspaper there, of the business journal, Central Coast. And um, it's just kind of an overall um, environmental award for the work we're doing up at Next. But let's, let's go back. Uh, I like to personalize the podcast a little bit. Born and raised, I, I believe you were born and raised in Irvine. Is that right? Irvine, California? Irvine, California, yes, the safest city in America, probably 10 years running in a row. So, And uh, what were your early interests, Jeff? Oh, typical interest, you know, as a young kid, I think, just uh, pretty sporty. You know, I played a lot of soccer, um, loved to just hang out with friends, go on hikes. Um, Irvine at the time was ne wasn't nearly as developed as it is now, so there was a lot of green hills and you know, have fond memories of playing Ditchum with my friends, just running off into the hills and coming back at eight, eight at night and scarfing down dinner and uh, so forth. So it was, it was a great place to grow up. Um, played a lot of music growing up as well. Played the guitar, uh, studied classical guitar. So yeah, just, just typical, you know, typical, uh, you know, yeah. being a young boy, staying out of trouble, which again, wasn't hard in a place like Irvine. <laughs> <laughs> and then off to, was it Claremont McKenna for undergraduate? Yes, went off to Claremont McKenna. Um, and uh, I was actually recruited to play soccer at 
there uh, at, at CMC. Otherwise, probably wasn't a good enough student to get in. Um, but I, I always thought I would go back east for college. I applied to a lot of the East Coast schools um, and uh, found myself not, not, not leaving Southern California for undergrad and um, did a lot of the same things as high school and college, played soccer there. I played in a band. Um, and that's really where I discovered a strong interest in government and political science. Um, you know, at the time, I developed actually a strong desire to go into politics and public service. Um, didn't quite pan out that way, but um, kind of uh, found my interest there. Studied abroad in Shanghai uh, my junior year and fell in love with China. And actually, that's kind of what led me to start my career over there in China. Was, well, did that start before graduate school? That started before graduate school. Yeah, I graduated from Claremont uh, in 2003 and um, really wanted to go back to Shanghai, start my career there. Um, and that's, that's what I did. So I lived in China for uh, three years. Um, it's a, kind of a fascinating experience I had early on. I, I was working for the Shanghai Port Authority for a a logistics, a state-owned logistics company, um, and I was really the I was the only foreigner in the entire state-owned enterprise. I mean, thousands of Chinese um, employees and myself, and so I I was uh, I did a lot of business development and marketing for the port, and really that's that experience I think really opened my eyes to um, you know economic growth and kind of the costs that come with it. You know at the time China was just expanding like crazy. They were the manufacturing floor of the world. And I saw, especially working at the port, I saw a lot of, you know, barges with oil and coal coming in and out of Shanghai and all these goods on container ships that were leaving and just the environmental degradation that the people were experiencing um, in line with their, you know, prosperity because they were, um, you know, it's a probably a topic for another, you know, another conversation, but um it lifted a lot of people out of poverty at that time. Um, and I saw firsthand kind of, kind of, uh, you know, the environmental impact that their growth was having. And, um, and then in 2006, I came back to California and went to graduate school at UC San Diego's School of Global Policy and Strategy and continued to study Chinese politics, international management, um, you know, economics. Such an interesting path, Jeff. And, and, um, I, I take it you had started to study Chinese. I think maybe you told me this some time ago in, in high school. Is that right? That's right. Yes. Good memory, Ted. I started learning uh, Chinese in high school in Irvine. Um, Spanish, Spanish two, I think at the time was too difficult for me freshman year. So I switched to intro to Mandarin my sophomore year um, and studied it through high school and then continued it at at college uh, and into graduate school as well. Yeah, that really, and that led that led you to this amazing experience in Shanghai. I, it's a sidebar, but I've been studying Cantonese now for a couple, couple of years. After Ooh. years of being together with Terry, and I've always said it was too difficult, and now I've been through two years of working on it. And I, so I have a lot of respect for you that you could uh, that you've been got to a, a fluency. <laughs> You're able to. Yeah, to props to you. No, it's 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 not a it's not an easy language, especially picking it up, uh, you know, later in life. 
yeah. yeah. So, the, so you see San Diego for public policy or global public policy. Um, and then th did that, I, I think you had a job in solar after you came out of, uh, of college or out, after grad school, before you got involved with the clean tech development group. Is that right? Yeah, I did. I actually, so I, I jumped from graduate school straight into the climate registry. I, I worked for um, actually a, a, a former uh, guest of your show. I think Diane Wittenberg um, was, was on here at one point. And she, so I worked with her at the climate registry and that's, I was a program manager there really supporting our members. It's a member based organization um, helping companies and municipalities voluntarily measure and report you know, report their greenhouse gas emissions. So this was pretty early on at the time, developing a national registry to measure and, you know, account for scope one and scope two emissions. So I, I spent about 18 months at the climate registry. And then from there, um, jumped into uh, the solar industry. And I worked for a company called Perpetual Energy System here in LA. They're a power purchase agreement developer. Uh, I started working for them in 2010. And I really learned a lot there. So per Perpetual was a um, subsidiary of, a, of Alliant Capital. And at the time, Alliant was doing a lot of low-income housing tax credits. So they, they, they formed a business on developing low-income housing by leveraging the low-income housing tax credit, the LIHTC tax credit. And they built a business around the what at the time was new um, under the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, the ARA Act. Um, 2008 and 2009, the, you know, the ITC, the solar ITC, which still exists today. Um, but they developed a business around leveraging the investment tax credit and developing a power purchase agreement sort of business model. Um, so I was a solar financial analyst for them, really cut my teeth on looking at the economics of solar, you know, rooftop power purchase agreements. At the time, you know, Jigger Shaw was a big influence of mine at the time. So what he was doing with third-party financing really inspired me. And I really learned a lot um, there at Perpetual Energy Systems, really starting my career um, kind of just valuing and sort of looking at the economics of, uh, you know, solar energy systems. So what... So what lured you back? What lured you back to sort of the, the Chinese part of your life, or the Chinese uh, interest part of your life? Because you, you went you went to this clean deck tech development group. Yes, that's right. So I was in the, I was in the solar space for many years, and then, you know, something was just itching inside. I I, I really missed I missed interacting with Chinese companies, and I missed China. Um, I, I, you know, at the time, China was growing more and more, and their impact on the environment and on the global economy was was far greater. And I just, I just had this this desire to um, kind of go back to my roots, so to speak, or just my my strong interest in pursuing, um, you know, opportunities and a career that uh, involved China. So I met. Um, uh, the director of the Innovation Center for Energy and Transportation, which is a uh, an NGO based out of Beijing um, that was developing a new program called the U.S.-China Clean Tech Center. Um, we hit it off and he hired me to run the U.S.-China Clean Tech Center, which was uh, a joint venture between that NGO and the U.S. 
uh, uh, Department of Commerce. And basically I ran that organization for three or four years, helping US entrepreneurs um, of small to medium size enterprises, mainly in clean energy, environmental, you know, remediation technologies. I helped them um, find business opportunities in China. I led a lot of, you know, trade missions uh, and um, helped them raise funds and kind of develop their product and markets in China, which at the time was investing heavily and they still are um, to try and clean up all the pollution and all the things that they have going on over there. So that was a great experience because it, it, it allowed me to travel to and from China um, and really, uh, you know, get back into, you know, that bilateral, you know, U.S.-China focus that was, um, that has always kind of been a strong interest of mine. Yeah, it sounds sounds so interesting, and and I take it you were you were taking U.S. delegations to China. Were you doing the inverse as well? Where you have Chinese delegations that came to the United States, so you're you're cutting both directions, right? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And the the inbound was, um, yeah, there's a lot of Chinese delegations would come visit us in the United States. We tour them around here as well, and their yeah, you know, their interest was was in bringing our technologies over there and kind of developing homegrown, um, homegrown, you know, technologies of their own and, um, you know, developing manufacturing capabilities and scale up opportunities for these, uh, you know, entrepreneurs here. You know, the more I talk, I think you'll see a trend of mine, which is kind of hopping between the public sector and the private sector and then back to public sector, then back to private. Um, I'm wondering and, how, you're uh, getting, how you're getting your fix now of China. We'll get into that. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I'm not. But, you know, I, it's, I, you know it's, I spent a lot of time in China and there's, there's good and there's bad and you develop, you know, cynical, uh, you know, sort of perspectives on things. So I, I don't miss it now as much as I did when I first moved back to go to grad school. So I, I don't have an itch. You know, I now have a, a family and, you know, we home here in LA. And so I don't see myself um, transitioning back there too often. So let's talk about, um, let's talk glass. And this is the, this is the, our primary topic and you're working for Next Energy Technologies. I guess it's been like over six years now that you've been there. Time flies, Jeff, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Time certainly flies, Ted. And in fact, yeah, LinkedIn, uh, just reminded me of my six-year work anniversary this week, I think, of, uh, of working at Next. So one of, you know, and one of the beauties of, of, of working at the China, you know, Clean Tech Center was it exposed me to some really inspiring, you know, clean energy entrepreneurs and technologies. And I used my role there to sort of cherry pick the ones that stood out to me. And Next was one of those companies that was kind of top on the list of startups that I knew I wanted to join. Uh, and so, you know, I did just that in, uh, I think, the spring of 2017. I butch I will butcher the description of this, but it basically you're you're somehow you're putting photovoltaics on glass and you can it's transparent, right? Now you you can describe the technology a whole lot better. This is within the the realm of architectural glass, right? That that we're talking. But how do you describe the the technology? Yeah. Um... Well, it might be helpful to first define the term architectural solar or architectural glass, you know, for your audience. And, you know, architectural solar 
is just defined as a, it, it's a solar energy generating technology that has architectural significance or is incorporated with an architectural design process. So whether it be a building integrated photovoltaic um, facade or a rooftop PV system that's architecturally you know, coordinated with rooftop vents um, early on in the design process, it falls under the umbrella of architectural solar. Um, and, you know, back to your original question, you know, um, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we see this sort of square peg in a round hole approach that's being, that's taking place in the market with companies, um, you know, like Onyx Solar, for example, they're the commercial leader in BIPV glass facades. Um, we're, we're seeing the square peg in a round hole approach, especially for the vision area of the facade where people expect daylighting and they expect views from their windows. So current technology for BIPV solar windows, it's opaque and therefore they must be perforated or patterned in order to, to have some level of transparency with significantly compromised aesthetics. So they're really you know, degrading the aesthetic appearance of the window and effectively they're turning it into a wall. You know, silicon, um, it comes from rocks. So it's not something you typically think about integrating into your window. Um, it's a pretty clunky technology with limited transparency that you don't, that really don't meet the needs of the market to have a good return on investment. So it's really all about making solar energy beautiful. Uh, and it turns out that the best way to do that is to make it invisible. So. Yeah, you know, that easy, right? Just just make those ugly solar cells disappear, easy peasy. Well, that's that's really what um, the amazing team at Next has figured out how to do. Um, we've developed breakthrough transparent solar cells that allow us to make solar panels that look like normal windows. And so we're we're really a hundred percent focused on aesthetics for this market. Uh, when we started the company, we were a bunch of scientists, you know, material scientists focused on really pushing for higher and higher efficiencies and, you know, energy output. And we realized pretty quickly that once we engage the market and the supply chain, um, we realized that what really matters to them was the color and the aesthetics. And so really first and foremost, it has to look and behave like a conventional low E window. Um, and so that's what we've done. And so everything we do really starts there. We have this, the ability to do different colors and visible light transmissions with fundamentally, um, you know, we're all about aesthetics of the product. Right, right. And then, I mean, obviously the next question is then how much, how much production do you lose? If we say that a, a standard silicon panel is 100%, then you, one of your windows is generating 5% of that, 10% of that, what, approximately? Yeah, it's, so it's hard to say uh, because there's always going to be this trade-off between transparency and, um, Right. you know, power conversion efficiency. So uh, kind of backing up. So so just kind of describing on how how it works. And maybe I'll go into that real quick. Um, so w w what w so we can make a window look like a or we can make a solar panel look like a normal window. Um, and it really has to do with this unique absorption spectra of our proprietary semiconducting materials. So our materials have color tunable properties that can absorb light within a chosen spectral range only. So this results in really good visible light transmission, you know, transparencies essentially, and really high power conversion efficiencies. 
So our, our active layers in our device stack, so that means the coatings that absorb light and converts that into electricity, they have low absorption in the visible spectrum, resulting in high transparency for the human eye, but they have higher absorption of photons at larger wavelengths to convert into electricity. So the ability of next semiconductors essentially, essentially to be transparent um, to visible light enables the entire glass to be covered with our energy harvesting coatings while having really the exact color transparency, the you know, uniformity of a high performance window. And you contrast that to conventional solar cells, all light with wavelengths less than the onset wavelengths. So basically the wavelengths of light at which the cell starts absorbing, um, all of those wavelengths are absorbed in a conventional inorganic solar cell. So if a conventional PV cell absorbs infrared light, then it will also absorb the visible light. And the absorption actually increases as wavelength decreases, making it non-transparent. Hence, current BIPV window products on the market, um, they're you know, opaque cells placed in windows um, that have to be perforated or patterned or sort of you know, speckled to allow for transparency. And so... That so there is going to be this trade-off between transparency and power conversion because in our case we're letting more of the visible spectrum through, and instead of you know converting that into uh, into power. And so to answer your question, you know ballpark our windows produce anywhere from 20 to 50 percent of what a regular PV module generated, uh, you know per square foot. Which I think is remarkable. I mean, I've seen your your demonstrations. I mean, I've seen your glass, and I it looks totally like normal glass. You don't see these coatings that that's on it. That's the magic of it all. So it seems like getting twenty to fifty percent is, is well, it is is a remarkable accomplishment. And then one of the things that we know about commercial buildings is that they're if you don't use the glass, the, the, if you want to put solar on the rooftop. You get very little, right? There's just very little rooftop area compared to square footage within the building. So your concept is to work with, as, as I understand it, work with commercial glass companies and sell them this technology. So they they slather it throughout our, our cities around the world. That's right. And that's right. I mean, we um, there is significantly more facade area available um, on the vertical surfaces of our buildings than compared to the rooftop. And so... Yes, we on a per panel basis we're less efficient, but um, the energy generating potential for generating energy on a building, you know, is is far greater. So we, we I'll, you know, we do case studies all the time, and one I like to reference is, you know, so imagine a thirty-story commercial office building, five hundred thousand square foot gross area, located in Sacramento, California, right? A relatively sunny climate. It's built to the most current California energy efficiency Title 24 standards, and it's incorporating next windows in a 60% window to wall ratio, which means 60% of the facade is glass with our technology embedded inside, 40% is, is not. Um, so we, we can actually produce about 20 times more. Uh, so the, the surface area available for doing that compared to just the rooftop is about 20 times more um, be by you know leveraging the glass facade. And so uh, despite being lower efficiency solar panels, um, you know, by doubling as windows on the facade of your building, the annual energy generation 
for that building footprint is actually three to 10 times as much as the energy generating potential of just that building group space. Yeah. yeah, big, big difference. Talk, talk for just a minute about the commercial building glass market because you educated me about this some years ago and I was, it's really an interesting, uh, it's an interesting market. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's, there's the float glass market. Um, really it's dominated. So float glass or flat glass, it's just uh, the big sheets of glass that's being uh, produced. Uh, both for architectural purposes or automotive. Uh, and it's really controlled by five or six major global players. Uh, they make almost all the glass in the world. Um, and they then sell those large sheets of coated glass to window fabricators, um, which are plentiful. There's, it's a pretty fragmented market. There's hundreds and hundreds of fabricators all around the world. Um, uh, competing, you know, regionally and fabricators are the ones that really add value to the glazing product. So they, they cut it to size, they heat strengthen it, they'll fabricate it, you know, they'll fabricate it into an insulated glass unit, they'll add solar control coatings to it to really just enhance, you know, the performance of that glazing product. So uh, the flat glass manufacturers sell it to the fabricators. Um, and it's the fabricators who we partner with. So these are our direct customers, um, we know that they want incremental, non-aggravating steps that add value. And so our, our expertise and sort of how we think about our business you know, strategy and our go-to-market is our, our expertise is really in, the, is in material science, right? On the material set and not on the whole window supply chain. So we're not trying to reinvent the wheel by becoming our own window fabricator and making the windows ourselves, but rather really enable our fabrication customers to have another high margin value added element that they can add to their, you know, to their products. And so next coatings, they're applied to commercial windows during the window fabrication process. So we integrate with existing manufacturers without disrupting established workflows and supply chains. So really think of it as a, it's an asset light model, you know, we're a pure technology provider with no manufacturing facilities. And this strategy is really just allowing us to stay capital efficient uh, as we scale our technology more quickly in multiple markets with established brands and you know, market channels. Now you did mention automotive there for at one point. Are there other, are, is it being used in the automotive world or are there other applications? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we are primarily focused on commercial building, you know, windows because it's, really the application where we have seen the greatest interest from end customers and the supply chain, um, as well as really having the largest climate impact by helping commercial buildings with a ton of glass, you know, reduce their carbon footprint. But we also recognize that our core technology really does have the potential for market disruption and many other applications than just windows for commercial buildings. You know, this includes um, powering retrofit smart windows, you know, automotive glass, um, you know, moon roofs, for example, uh, greenhouses, uh, BIPV window retrofits, uh, lightweight solar, consumer wearables even. Um, you know, there's a lot of different applications. We're talking to all the major players in these, in these market verticals. Um, so there are, there are a lot of applications to 
tweak this technology a bit to go after those markets. You know, our vision is a world where every glass surface uh, you know, produces energy. So just imagine that for a moment. I mean, the possibilities. Glass will no longer just be a component of construction, but also a renewable energy source and a key element in construction decarbonization efforts. So it's an exciting proposition. We're starting commercial buildings, but um, really having scaled interesting conversations with automotive and others as well. That's a great, that's a great vision. Last couple of questions, quick, quick questions. Uh, biggest success so far in your career. Now you're, you're just, you're just warming up Mr. Horowitz, but uh, if you, if you could look back and say what, what's been, what's really worked for you? Oh man. Um, that's kind of a hard question. Cause I think, I think the biggest success in my career is what's ahead of me. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's what's yet to come. There's a lot of work to be done to combat the existential threat of climate change. Um, I don't know, maybe that's a cop-out answer, but I, I, I think, uh, when I look back at my career, you know, when it's all said and done, um, you know, the things for which I think I'll be most proud of is living a life of purpose and choosing a career of purpose. And, you know, a life of purpose, this is the gift that my children have given me. Uh, I have three amazing kids that really inspire me to really just work as hard as I possibly can to make this world a better place. And then a career of purpose, this is, this is the gift that Next Energy really has, you know, afforded me. And I, I'm extremely grateful for the intersection of these two purposes and um, I'm proud and, and, you know, entirely hopeful um, that our efforts to make the world a better home by decarbonizing the built environment will benefit my children for the decades to come. So, so yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, but let's, let's leave it right there. This is a great discussion. And uh, thank you so much. You're, you're making, you're making huge contributions and I love your, I love, I love next vision that every glass surface will, uh, will also be part of the solution to this climate problem that's that's wreaking havoc on the planet. Well, thanks, Dad. I really appreciate it. It's always great to talk to you. And I, uh, I have to say it's an honor to be invited onto your show. Uh, I've been a big fan of the Flanagan Ecologic podcast and, you know, what it represents and what you're doing. So thanks for thanks for chatting with me and for catching up. Let's be in touch. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.